0: That's right, oh, there we go. Uh, we'll also have a time uh, to be able, since we have been spending a good amount of time in this book in Isaiah, we're going to have a time for people to come up and share what they've learned from reading uh, and learning uh, these chapters in Isaiah together. And so um, we'll have a bit of sharing time, and then we'll have uh, one person getting particularly wet, and then we'll be good. Uh, so we've been looking at uh, chapters 40 through 55, I was saying. So Isaiah, it's, uh, it's broken up into different books. And each book has these kind of themes that come through. And this section in chapters 40 through 55, uh, though it can be difficult to understand sometimes, uh, it teaches us a lot about the Servant, capital the, capital S for Servant, foreshadowing Jesus. What we've been reading, what Isaiah is, the whole book from chapter 1 to the end, is prophecy. And it can be hard going sometimes. In fact, I think everyone who's preached uh, has come up and said, like, Greg, that was the most difficult passage. Why did you give me that passage in Isaiah? And it's probably true. It's difficult to understand sometimes. It can be opaque, but the background to the whole book is this: this is the background. This is where the whole book kind of comes from. That God's people have been disobedient. They've been disobedient for a very long time. God has been patient. He's been giving them an kind of opportunity after opportunity after opportunity for them to change, and they're not changing. Uh, and they still chose to go their own way. So, as a father disciplines his children, God disciplines his people, and the way that worked. Uh, was for God to take outside nations who are going to take over Israel. They're going to take over the nation, this great gift that God has given these people, uh, and they're going to be carted off as refugees of war. Now, these people, the Israelites, will eventually return to Israel, but not soon, about 70 years. That's a long time. Uh, This section of the Bible here that we've been looking at is about how God will still, even in our own disobedience, how God will make a way for us to him. Us who are the disobedient and obnoxious kind of spoiled teenagers... Uh, to the loving arms of the Father. And there's been this kind of growing revelation from chapter 40 to where we are here in 55 that ends here. Uh, And the way that God will make, that way to himself, will be made by himself. In fact, it will be him, himself. Jesus called himself the way. He said nobody could come to the Father except through Jesus, God's servant. So there is a way, and that way is called Jesus. Now, we looked at the rest of chapter 55 on the weekend away last week, um, and sorry if you came and you found out there was not a church here last week, we were away in Wales, um, but these two verses, I mean, when you think about baptism, these two verses are pretty fitting. It's almost like someone planned it, but I didn't. <laughs> if I was clever, I would have said, yes, I planned it that way, but I'm not clever. Uh, so here's the headline, Before we're going we're to spend some time looking at these two verses, here, here's the big headline, we are poor, we are poor, but through Jesus, God makes us rich. And God makes us rich in the most meaningful way, the ways that matter most. And in these three verses, we're told three things. We're told to do three things. We're told to come, told, told to buy, and we're told told to listen. So we're going to spend those times on those three kind of commands that we get from God here. Come. So this is the first, if you look at that first thing, come all who are thirsty, come to the waters. This is like the idea of someone in the street, like a street vendor, kind of going around, peddling his wares, whatever he, whatever he might have. Everyone is being invited, but there's some particular people who are being invited here. The poor and the parched. People who are thirsty and people who are poor. For the parched, these are people who at times, and this is, of course, you know I'm going to say this applies to everybody. It's not like a small group of people. If you're parched, you have drank this world up, but your throat is still dry. And maybe other times there's water that you actually did want, that you needed, but, but, but was refused you. People overlooked you. Even people were supposed to care for you and still your throat is dry. This world by itself, our lives by itself, they leave us parched, wanting more and not getting it. That's the, that's the parched. And then we also have the poor. The poor in such a way, not, not, uh, not poor as in like, oh, I can't take a holiday this year. Poor as in not having enough resources to survive. Poor as in starving to death. Uh, and, and what we're told here in verse 2 is uh, we, the poor did have money, but they wasted it. They spent it on something that didn't satisfy. They, when we did have money as poor people, we spent it on something that wouldn't nourish us, and we were still left hungry. We ate and were left hungry. And when you worked, the payoff wasn't satisfying. It's not like you haven't worked in your life, right? All of us have. You were working hard, but you were going in the wrong direction. The labor that you gave yourself to, it didn't satisfy. It cost a lot. It cost us everything, and now, we, now we're here broke and hungry. And this is who is supposed to listen people who are poor, people who are parched. Now, this is you. And again, this is all of us in some ways. God is asking you to come to him, to come. This verb is plural, by the way. It's not a individual coming. It's a everybody coming together. This verb is plural. Come everyone who's poor. Come everyone who's parched. This is true of each and every single one of us, whether you're close to God or whether you're far from him. Now, we can be materially poor and still live in spiritual poverty. We can have a great, fantastic job and never get out of spiritual poverty by ourselves, in our own hearts. We are spiritually on the street, just begging. No home of our own, no money, in need of food, in need of water, without the resources to get them ourselves, and no amount of career, partner, friends, kids, hobbies, families, binge-watching, drinking, will ever make up for our spiritual poverty. All those things can be good. Maybe some of those aren't so good that are listed in there but they will never make up for what we they really need. And when you think you might be doing well, how about when things don't go your way? How do you act when the world kind of doesn't go your way? When you don't get to do the things you want to do, how do you act then? That really reveals who we are. And without someone rescuing us from our spiritual poverty, we will waste away. We'll waste away our life, and at the end of it, we'll be wasted and used up. How will the career, partner, friends, kids, hobbies, families, whatever help you in your death. It's not going to. We are all invited. All invited to continue to come to God, to continue to come closer to him. And verse 1 says to the waters, for the poor and parched, waters are refreshing. For people who really need it, you get it. For someone dying for a drink, God invites you to come to the water. So what do we do when we come to the waters? Well, we buy. We buy specifically, uh, we buy three specific things here. We buy wine, milk, and bread. Now, wine and milk when water would have done. Someone who's like dying of thirst, he could have just given them water and they'd probably be very super happy. But we get something more than that. We get wine as well, milk, which is like more nourishing. Together with this idea of bread, what uh, what the author is trying to say here is that all of your needs are satisfied and then some. Like you don't need wine, but you get it. You might need bread, but you get all that you need and then some. God's overflowing goodness to the poor and the parched. We're poor beggars, but this isn't handed out for free as one commentator put it. This is not like a soup kitchen situation. You actually do have to buy. The thing is, you are not paying. That p- payment has already been paid. We bring our poverty to the till, that's what we bring, and we find that everything has been bought for us. And this is what the servant, what Jesus has done for us. He's paid for us in full, for those in poverty to be filled up and never lack anything, and not just water, but but also with wine. Now, let's not get inoculated to how amazing and incredible this news is. We hear this a lot, like we hear about Jesus a lot, and we see images of the cross a lot, and that can undo the majesty and the mystery of it all. The God who is everything died for those who have nothing so that we would have everything. The God who is everything died for those who have nothing so that we can have everything. What in the that does not... I mean, have you ever thought about that? It does not make any sense, really and thank God it doesn't make any sense. What kind of love is this? When we surrender to God's love, this is what we get. We have nothing to give. He's taken everything to give, and he gave everything by taking on everything that separates us from God in his death and gives us everything we need in his resurrection. In fact, in Ephesians 1-3 in the New Testament, the Bible says that the Father through Jesus has given us every spiritual blessing, every spiritual blessing. But what about that? Yeah, every spiritual blessing, like, Every single way you can be blessed spiritually, you already have it if you follow Jesus. That's mind-boggling. I always think I need like, God to give me more because I don't have enough. But actually, no, he's already given me enough. God's not a uh, kind of a withholding father. He loves to give good gifts. And of course, by saying he's given us everything, what I really mean is that he's given us himself. The gift of the Holy Spirit, God himself. When you surrender to God's love, we get God taking up permanent residence in us. That's what the Holy Spirit's all about. That means if you were to die right now, or if Jesus came back to bring in the new heavens and earth right now, that wouldn't make you any closer to him then than you are right now. That's mind-boggling to think about. I'm saying mind-boggling a lot. (laughs) It's kind of crazy to think about. God is, you will never be closer to God than where you are right now, relationally. Now we will experience it differently, yeah, but you are already as close to God as you will ever get if you follow him. What an amazing truth. We're the poor. He's the rich. He's bought for us all that we need and then some, but we are still called to buy. We're still called to do something. God has done the work, but he calls us to respond. He calls us to be involved, to make the commitment and keep on making that commitment to him and buy that which does satisfy. Now, that also means that buying this food that God's talking about here uh, means not buying this other food. It means living in a different way. We don't just sit back and be like, all right, God, thank God you're God, and you just do the work, and I'll just do whatever I want to do. That's not really how it works. No, he invites us to join him in his work, so we do buy, but not with our own money. And remember, when we did have money, what did we do? We spend it all on sweets, and then now we're complaining that we're hungry. This happens just a few times with my seven-year-old son. Uh, I'm hungry. Didn't you just have a sweet? Yeah, but he has a phrase that he uses on me. I can't remember what it is now. Something like, yeah, but sweets don't fill you up, I think is what he says. Like, ah, well, you sure did seem like it filled you up a second ago when you were tearing into those things. But here it is when we spend all our money on sweets. Our stomach ends up hurting. We end up hungry. Buying this food that God's talking about is a different kind of life than buying other food. And this is the response that God is asking for. Come, buy this food. It's not going to cost you because Jesus already paid, but come buy this food. So we come, we buy, and lastly, we listen. We listen. So remember who's invited here? Uh, this is like um, God as a street vendor. And I remember growing up, uh, I went to a lot of baseball games in America. Um, and they, I, I don't know, uh, they, they have these vendors that would sound like popcorn or beer or Coke or whatever. And everybody had their own little cadence that they would kind of say. So they're walking around with like this huge, massive thing of popcorn. We're like, get your popcorn here, popcorn here. And, and literally would sound like that, which sounds hilarious for an American to use that kind of accent. Um, or some other guy would be like, ice cold Coke. Ice cold, cold. like you just say that over and over and over again. They all have their own little weird cadence, I guess, to kind of get your attention. Apparently it worked because I'm talking about it right now. Um, That's like probably 20 years ago, more than that, actually. Uh, This is like what God is, God is out there in the streets. and like, come, come, all who's invited. Uh, If you're poor, if you're parched, those are the people who are invited. Remember, the parched are people who drank this world up and still their throats are dry. The poor are people who don't have enough money to be able to, to survive. People who ate and were hungry and we ended up broke and hungry. So we come, we buy, and then God is telling us to listen. And this is God speaking to us. He wants us to listen. Listening, if you look at that, you have it in front of you there. Uh, listen, listen to me, eat what is good, and you'll delight in the richest affair. Listening to God leads to delight. I want to live a life of delight. And God's telling us how to do that. Listening to him leads to delight. When we listen to God, we get to eat what's good. We just talked about how buying unsatisfying food means a different kind of life than buying satisfying food. How can we keep that going? How can we keep that kind of life going? Well, we listen to God. And as we listen to him, we get to delight in the best food out there. To delight in something is more than like a mere duty of like I'm hungry and I must eat lunch now. It's a, if you're delighting over your lunch, that's, like, that's a very special way of eating. It's more than a box being ticked. There's joy there. And remember, um, this is all plural here. There's yous, there's yours. All these commands are plural. But this is actually not about you. This is about us. The Christian message is not about you. It's about us. God isn't making individuals. He's making a people. You cannot be a gospel-formed family on mission, but we can be a gospel-formed family on mission. You can't live this life alone. Not only does it not work, it's not the path God has given. So if we say we follow Jesus, if we surrender to his love, that requires us to walk in the ways that he's told us. Now, even though that is difficult, for our kind of toxic, individually focused lives is actually really, really good for us. It's really, really good for us. Um, think of your favorite food. What, what are some of your favorite foods out there? Like if you could only have that food for the rest of your life, you would actually be a happy person. Anyone? Fried chicken. That's a good one. Yes. I, yeah, I was thinking pizza. No, fried chicken might be good. What else? We got fried chicken. Pizza, right? Any particular pizza? Just general. Yep. That's yeah, I'm down for that. What else? Pizza, fried chicken. What's that? There we go. <laughs> of course Augustine would say that, right? <laughs> now, whenever you whatever that food is for you, we all have that kind of food, right? Whatever that is for you. That's a joy to eat it. It is a joy to eat pizza. Whenever you order pizza, I do a happy pizza dance because I'm I'm happy. How do you feel after you've eaten that food? Well, hopefully not too much. You don't feel full of shame and guilt. But if you're eating a good amount of it, you feel good. It's a joy. It's a delight. You feel satisfied. You're like, ah, oh, this is a good day. I was able to have pizza. All this stuff could have happened, but I had pizza at the end of the day, and it was fantastic. And you know what? I'm, I'm satisfied. Now, just as your stomach is empty without food, our lives are empty without God's word. And just like, saying, just like that satisfied feeling we get when we eat the best food out there, the richest affair, whatever that might be, our lives can have that same kind of satisfaction and not in a way that requires us to continually eat because eventually that meal goes away and you end up hungry and you have to eat again. And you can't, I mean, I have tried, but you cannot have pizza every single meal. You can't have fried chicken every single meal. That might be a glorious way to live a very short life and maybe that's a thing to do. But there's, that's the difference between being spiritually fulfilled and having like a fantastic meal. That great feeling you get from the end of a meal is good in itself but also should teach us, like, this is actually what it's like to live life with God to li- and to live it with, his, with his family. That kind of life, that's not too bad for the poor and parched. That's not too bad for someone who is spiritually impoverished living on the street. We bring our poverty. God gives us a feast. And that feast, that actual reward, again, God himself, we get him. We get him. He will make an everlasting covenant with us. I just says in, in the next verse that you guys don't have on your paper there. But verse 3 talks about this everlasting covenant that God, God is going to make with us. It's like the promise of marriage where the reward isn't the party. The reward isn't like uh, a joint bank account or whatever. The reward is, is you get each other. It's the same thing when it comes to the uh, relationship we have with God. So if you're poor, if you're parched, if you're hungry, actually probably the better question is where in your life are you poor, parched, or hungry? Because we all have those. Oh, Christ has made it possible for you to come. He's the one who's calling out. He's sending texts and emails and snail mail and fax and woofs and all sorts of things. He's out in the streets calling to anyone who would come by. Someone caught it. There was a wolf in there. Oh, no one's seen that. The U.S. office. Oh, sorry. I bet uh, Dan and Tara would have gotten it. That's too bad. Um, now I can't explain it because it would be even worse than what has gone right now. Um, <laughs> basically, uh, God, Christ is doing everything he can. Now, even right now, we have all heard these words together. None of them can say, oh, I never really heard Jesus' words. We've, we've read these words right here. We've all heard them all together. He has paid the price through his cross. That's the price that he has bought for us. He's given us every spiritual blessing through the resurrection, and life becomes a delight as we dine on the richest of fare. So if you want what is good, we listen to his word. And this is the only way to get to the refreshing waters of God. And this is also what baptism itself is a symbol of. Someone who's come to God's waters is now responding through the washing of water. One who's been inwardly kind of experienced God um, in their life. Uh, Baptism is taking that first step of joining a family. A family of people who were formerly hungry, and now they've found wine, milk, and bread. Now satisfied, and we get to live in delight. I'm going to pray in a moment here, uh, and then we will have, uh, whoever wanted to come up and share, we'll have a time for you guys to come up and share. We can use this microphone. Yeah, cool. Let me pray. God, thank you for uh, your words to us. I thank you that you haven't left us to our own devices to figure things out on our own, but you've made yourself so clear in your word. We know every time that we open up the Bible, you open up your mouth, and we thank you that you've given us your words today. I pray that we wouldn't just hear these things and then move on as if they didn't happen we would hear these words and that they would change us, that our lives would be different, and uh, that we would be able to take even just a little bit more, just 1% more of your truth into our life, and that would overflow into other people's lives as well.